0: Hi, my name is Stefan Sindoni. I am an independent researcher who creates movies that provoke thought. In today's program entitled, Who Was Christopher Columbus? I will share with you, the viewer, little-known facts surrounding the true mission of Christopher Columbus in the New World. And here is where our story begins. As a young boy, I recall going to school and being taught by my teachers about Christopher Columbus. I can still recite part of a rhyme I learned in school. In 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. 1492 is also the same year that the Spanish Inquisition began. What I will share with you will shatter the historical version we have all been led to believe. The historical version is a lie. Everything we have been taught about Columbus is a lie. So who was? Christopher Columbus. In the late fifteenth century, Spain was unified by the marriage of Isabel of Castile and Fernando of Aragon. The Moors were finally defeated after nine hundred years of war. Overnight, Spain had become the most powerful empire since Rome. A religious fervor swept the land under the banner One Nation, One Faith. The Inquisition was created and the Jews were going to be expelled. The motives for the Spanish Inquisition was to ensure political authority, weakening opposition, and suppressing conversos. Conversos were taken to mean one who would sincerely renounced Judaism or Islam and embrace Catholicism. An additional motives for the Spanish Inquisition would be profiting from confiscation of the property of convicted heretics, and reducing social tensions, and lastly, protecting the Kingdom. In 1492, Jews had to choose between their homes or their faith. To stay, they had to live a double life Christians to the world and Jews to their heart. Everyone believes the story that Columbus was an Italian explorer from Genoa, Italy who set sail in 1492 to enrich the Spanish monarchs with gold and spices from the Orient. Christopher Columbus was born before October 31, 1451 in Portugal. His Portuguese name was Cristóval Colombo, which is quite similar to his name in Italian, which was Cristóforo Colombo. His father's name was Domenico Colombo, a middle-class wool weaver in Portugal who also worked both in Genoa and Savona in Italy where he owned a cheese stand at which young Christopher Columbus worked as a helper. It is highly likely that the family moved from Portugal to Genoa, Italy in around the year 1461, when Christopher was 10 years old, which coincided with the date of his father Domenico taking over a tavern. Columbus's mother's name was Susanna Fontana Rosa. She had five children. Columbus had three brothers and one sister. Columbus's sister's name was Biancinetta. The names of his three brothers were Giovanni Pellegrino, Giacomo, and Bartolomeo. Bartolomeo was employed at a cartography workshop in Lisbon, Portugal, for part of his adult life. In 1470, the Columbus family moved to Savona, Italy, where Domenico took over a tavern, and that was the same year that Christopher was on a Genoese ship hired in the service of René d'Anjou Anjou to support his attempt to conquer the Kingdom of Naples. In 1473, Columbus began his apprenticeship as business agent for the important Centurion di Negro and Spinola families of Genoa. Some historians have argued that Columbus was not from Genoa, Italy, but instead from the Aragon region of Spain or from nearby Portugal. In May of 1476, Columbus made a trip to Chios, an Aegean island that was ruled by Genoa, where he took part in an armed convoy sent by Genoa to carry a valuable cargo to northern Europe. It is my theory that Columbus was inducted into the slave trade, and it is for this reason that little is known about the ship's cargo. I will now retrace the roots of his immediate family. In the autumn of 1477, Columbus sailed on a Portuguese ship from Galway to Lisbon, Portugal, where he found his brother Bartolomeo, and they continued trading for the Centurione family. Columbus based himself in Lisbon, Portugal, from the year of 1477 to the year 1485. It was around that time that Christopher Columbus met and married Philippa Moniz Perestrello, daughter of the Porto Santo governor and Portuguese nobleman of Lombard origin, Bartolomeu Peristrello. In or around the year 1480, his son Diego Columbus was born. Between 1482 and 1485, Columbus traded along the coasts of West Africa, reaching the Portuguese trading post of Elmina at the Guinea coast. In 1485, Columbus presented his plans to King John II of Portugal. He proposed that the king equip three sturdy ships and grant him one year's time to sail out into the Atlantic for a western route to the Orient and return. Columbus also requested he be made great admiral of the ocean, appointed governor of any and all lands he discovered, and given one-tenth of all the revenues from those lands. The king submitted Columbus's proposals to his experts, who rejected it. It was their considered opinion that Columbus's estimation of a travel distance of 2,400 miles was, in fact, far too low. Disappointed by the king's decision, in that same year, in 1485, Columbus left Portugal and his wife for Castile, Spain. On May 1st, 1486, Christopher Columbus was given an audience with Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile to present his plans. The monarchs referred it to a committee, and after the passing of much time, the savants of Spain, like their counterparts in Portugal, replied that Columbus had grossly underestimated the distance to Asia. They pronounced the idea impractical and advised their royal highnesses to pass on the proposed venture. And then in 1487, Columbus found the mistress. She was a 20-year-old orphan named Beatrice Enriquez de Arana. In 1488, Columbus appealed to the court of Portugal once again, and once again, John II invited him to an audience. That meeting also proved unsuccessful, in part because not long afterwards, Bartolomeu Diaz returned to Portugal with news of his successful rounding of the southern tip of Africa near the Cape of Good Hope. With an eastern route to Asia apparently at hand, King John was no longer interested in Columbus's plans. In that same year of 1488, wasting no time, Columbus traveled from Portugal to both Genoa and Venice, but he received encouragement from neither. Columbus had also dispatched his brother Bartolomeo to the court of Henry VII of England to inquire whether the English crown might sponsor his expedition, but also without success. But in the following year of 1489, Columbus received a stroke of good fortune. The Catholic monarchs gave him an annual allowance of 12,000 maravedis, and in 1489 furnished him with a letter ordering all cities and towns under their domain to provide Columbus with food and lodging at no cost. I would like to add a sidebar note here. Favors cost money. What would Columbus have to do in return for this favor given to him by the Catholic monarchs? Over two years had passed since Columbus visited King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella with no word of an okay for the expedition. On March 31st of the year 1492, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella proclaimed that all Jews were to be expelled from Spain. The edict targeted 80,000 Jews and gave them only four months to pack up and get out. Over 40,000 Jews were baptized in the three months before the deadline for expulsion. The conversos were the principal concern of the Inquisition, being suspected of continuing to practice Judaism, put them at risk of denunciation and trial. The Jews who were forced to renounce Judaism and embrace Catholicism were known as conversos. As converts, they were also those who faked conversion, practicing Catholicism outwardly, while covertly practicing Judaism, the so-called Moranos, or swine. Columbus's voyage was not, as is commonly believed, funded by the deep pockets of Queen Isabella, but rather by two Jewish conversos, Luis de St. Angel and Gabriel Sanchez, who advanced an interest-free loan of 17,000 ducats from their own pockets to help pay for the voyage, as did Don Isaac Abrunel, rabbi and Jewish statesman. Scholars and researchers point to the date on which Columbus set sail as further evidence of his true motives. He was originally going to set sail on August the 2nd, 1492, a day that happened to coincide with the Jewish holiday of Tisha B'Av marking the destruction of the First and Second Holy Temples of Jerusalem. Columbus postponed the original sail date by one day to avoid embarking on the holiday, which would have been considered by Jews to be unlucky to set sail. Coincidentally or significantly, the day he set forth was the very day that Jews were by law given the choice of converting, leaving Spain, or being killed. On the evening of the third day of August of 1492, Columbus departed from Palos de la Fontera with three ships, the Nina, captained by Vincent Pinzon, the Pinta, captained by Martin Alonso Pinzon, and the Santa Maria, captained by Christopher Columbus. Columbus first sailed to the Canary Islands, which belonged to Castile, where he restocked the provisions and made repairs. After stopping over in Gran Canaria, he departed for San Sebastian de la Gomera on September 6th for what turned out to be a five-week voyage across the ocean. At 2 a.m. in the morning of October 12th to 1492, a lookout on the Pinta, Rodrigo de Triana, spotted land and immediately alerted the rest of the crew with a shout. Thereupon, the captain of the Pinta, martin Alonso pinzon verified the discovery and alerted columbus by firing a lombard columbus later maintained that he himself had already seen a light on the land a few hours earlier thereby claiming for himself the lifetime pension promised by ferdinand and isabella to the first person to sight land upon landing on the island in what is now called the bahamas columbus named the island san Salvador. Based on what we know about the geographic positions given by Columbus, the prime candidate for this island is San Salvador Island, which was so named in 1925. The indigenous people Columbus encountered were the lucavan Tiano, and the Arawak, who were all peaceful and friendly. Noting their gold ear ornaments, Columbus took some of the Arawak's prisoner and insisted that they guide him to the source of the gold. From the entry in his journal of October 12, 1492, in which he wrote of them, many of the men I have seen have scars in their bodies. And when I made signs to them to find out how this happened, they indicated that people from other nearby islands came to San Salvador to capture them. They defend themselves the best they can. I believe that people from the mainland came here to take them as slaves. They ought to make good and skilled servants, for they repeat very quickly whatever we say to them. I think they can be easily be made into Christians, for they seem to have no religion. If it pleases our Lord, I will take six of them to your Highness when I depart, in order that they may learn our language. Columbus remarked that their lack of modern weaponry and metal-forged swords or pikes was a tactful vulnerability, writing, I could conquer the whole of them with fifty men, and govern them as I pleased." Columbus also explored the northeast coast of Cuba where he landed on the 28th day of October. Then on November 22nd, Martin Alonso Pinzon, on an unauthorized expedition, took the Pinta in search of an island called Benique, which the natives told him was rich in gold. Columbus continued to the northern coast of Hispaniola where he landed on December 5th. There the Santa Maria ran aground on Christmas day of 1492 and had to be abandoned. The wreck was used as a target for cannon fire to impress the native peoples. Columbus was received by the native cacique Guacanagari who gave him permission to leave some of his men behind. Columbus left 39 men including Luis de Torres. It should be noted here that Luis de Torres was a converso interpreter who spoke Hebrew and Arabic and founded the settlement of La Navidad at the site of present-day Boa de Mer de Haiti. Columbus then took more native prisoners and continued his exploration. He kept sailing along the northern coast of Hispaniola with a single ship until he encountered Martin Alonso Pinzon and the Pinta, on January 6 of 1493. On January 13, 1493, Columbus made his last stop on his voyage in the New World. He landed on the Samana Peninsula where he met the hostile Sigueyos. The Sigueños refused to trade the amount of bows and arrows that Columbus desired. In the ensuing violence, two were stabbed to death. Because of this and because of Sigueños' use of arrows, Columbus called the inlet where he met them the Bay of Arrows. Columbus then kidnapped 25 natives who he planned to take back with him to Spain. But before heading back to Spain on the Nina, Columbus made a stop in the Azores. Unfortunately, a storm forced him to separate from the Pinta. He surprisingly landed at the port of Lisbon in Portugal. He anchored next to the King's Harbor patrol ship on March 4th of 1493. After spending a week in Portugal talking with Bartholomew Diaz, he then departed for Spain before nearly being assassinated by King John II's men. Columbus crossed the Bar of Salta's and entered the harbor of Palos on March 15th of 1493. I like to note here a second strange occurrence. Indeed, the first two letters Columbus sent back from his journey were not to Ferdinand and Isabella, but to San Angel and Sanchez, thanking them for the support and telling them both what he found. King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella was so pleased by what Columbus had discovered, they decided to fund his second expedition. Columbus left the port of Cadiz in Spain on September 24th of 1493 with a fleet of 17 ships carrying 1,200 men, and the supplies to establish permanent colonies in the new world. The passengers included priests, farmers, and soldiers who would be the new colonists. This reflected the new policy of creating not just colonies of exploitation, but also colonies of settlement from which to launch missions dedicated to converting the natives to Christianity. Modern studies suggest that as reported by the Washington Post, crew members may have included free black Americans Arrived in the New World about a decade before the slave trade began, as in the first voyage, the fleet stopped at the Canary Islands, from which it departed on October 13th, of 1493. Following a more southerly course than on the previous expedition, on November 3rd, Columbus sighted a rugged island that he named Dominica, Latin for Sunday. Later that day, he landed at Marie Galante, which he named Santa Maria. La Galante. After sailing past Les Santés, or Los Santos, the saints, he arrived at the island of Guadalupe, which he named Santa Maria de Guadalupe de Extremadura, after the image of the Virgin Mary venerated at the Spanish monastery of Luercas in Guadalupe, Caceres, Spain. He explored that island from November 4th till November 10th. Michel da Cuneo, Columbus's childhood friend from Savona, sailed with Columbus during the second voyage and wrote, In my opinion, since Genoa was Genoa, there was never born a man so well equipped and expert in the art of navigation as the said Lord Admiral. Columbus named the small island of Saona to honor Michel de Cuneo, his friend from Savona. The same childhood friend reported in a letter that Columbus had provided one of the captured indigenous women to him. He wrote, While I was in the boat, I captured a very beautiful Carib woman whom the said Lord Admiral gave to me. When I had taken her to my cabin, she was naked, as was their custom. I was filled with a desire to take my pleasure with her. She was unwilling and so treated me with her nails that I wished I had never begun, but To cut a long story short, I then took a piece of rope and whipped her soundly, and she let forth such incredible screams that you would not have believed your ears. Eventually, we came to such terms, I assure you, that you would have thought she had been brought up in a school for horrors. This letter has been interpreted by some as providing evidence that Columbus knowingly aided the rape of captured indigenous people. The exact course of Columbus's voyage to the Lesser Antilles is debated, but it seems likely that he turned north, citing and naming several islands, including Maserat, Antigua, Redonda, Nevis, St. Kitts, St. Estadius, Saba, St. Martin, and St. Croix, which meant the Holy Cross. Columbus also cited the chain of the Virgin Islands, Columbus continued to the Greater Antilles and landed in Puerto Rico, which he named San Juan Bautista in honor of St. John the Baptist. One of the first skirmishes between Native Americans and Europeans since the time of the Vikings occurred when Columbus rescued two Native boys who had just been castrated by their captors in another tribe. On November 22nd, Columbus returned to Hispaniola, where he intended to visit the Fort of La Navidad built during his first voyage and located on the northern coast of Haiti. Columbus found the fort and ruins destroyed by the Tiano people. Among the ruins were the corpses of 11 of the 39 Spaniards who had stayed behind as the first colonists in the New World. Columbus then sailed more than 100 kilometers eastwards along the northern coast of Hispaniola, establishing a new settlement, which he called La Isabella, in the present-day Dominican Republic. However, La Isabella proved to be poorly located and the settlement was short-lived. On the 30th of May of 1498, Columbus left with six ships from San Lucar, Spain, for his third trip to the New World. Three of the ships headed directly for Hispaniola with much-needed supplies, while Columbus took the other three in an exploration of what might lie to the south of the Caribbean islands he had already visited, including a hope for passage to continental Asia. Columbus led his fleet to the Portuguese island of Porto Santo, his wife's native land. He then sailed to Madeira and spent some time there with the Portuguese captain, Jao Goncalves de Camara, before sailing to the Canary Islands and Cape Verde. As he crossed the Atlantic, Columbus discovered that the angle between North as indicated by a magnetic compass, and north, as measured by the position of the pole star, changed with the position, a phenomenon now known as compass variation. He would later use his previous measurements of the compass variation to adjust his reckoning. After being becalmed for several days in the doldrums of the mid-Atlantic, Columbus's fleet regained its wind and dangerously low on water turned north in the direction of Dominica, where Columbus had visited in the previous voyage. The ships landed on the southern coast of the island of Trinidad on the 31st of July. After resupplying with food and water from August 4th to August 12th, Columbus explored the Gulf of Paria, which separates Trinidad from what is now Venezuela, near the delta of the Orinoco River. Columbus correctly interpreted the enormous quantity of fresh water that the Orinoco delivered into the Atlantic Ocean as evidence that he had reached a continental landmass. As he sailed the Gulf of Perea, he observed the diurnal rotation of the pole star in the sky, which he erroneously interpreted as evidence that the earth was not perfectly spherical, but rather bulged out like a pear around the newfound continent. He also speculated that the new continent might be the location of the biblical Garden of Eden, he then sailed to the islands of Cachacacare and Margarita. He sighted Tobago, which he named Bellaforma, and Granada, which he named Concepcion. He then touched the mainland of South America at the Paria Peninsula. In poor health, Columbus returned to Hispaniola on the 19th of August, only to find that many of the Spanish settlers of the new colony were in rebellion against his rule claiming that Columbus had misled them about the supposedly bountiful riches of the New World. A number of returning settlers and sailors lobbied against Columbus at the Spanish court, accusing him and his brothers of gross mismanagement. Columbus had some of his crew hanged for disobedience. He had an economic interest in the enslavement of the Hispaniola natives and for that reason was not eager to baptize them, which attracted criticism from some churchmen. An entry in his journal from September of 1498 reads, From here one might send in the name of the Holy Trinity as many slaves as could be sold. Before leaving for his fourth voyage to the Americas, Columbus wrote a letter to the governors of the Bank of St. George, Genoa dated at Seville, April 2nd, 1502, where Columbus wrote, Although my body is here, My heart is always near you." Columbus made a fourth voyage nominally in search of the Strait of Malacca to the Indian Ocean. Accompanied by his brother Bartolomeo and his 13-year-old son Fernando, he left Cadiz on May the 11th of 1502 with his flagship Santa Maria and the vessels Galega, Vizcania, and Santiago de Palos. He sailed to Arzila On the moroccan coast to rescue portuguese soldiers whom he had heard were under siege by the moors on june 15th they landed at carbet on the island of martinique a hurricane was brewing so he continued on hoping to find shelter on hispaniola he arrived at santo domingo on june 29th but was denied port and a new governor refused to listen to his storm prediction instead while columbus ships sheltered at the mouth of the rio Jana, the first Spanish treasure fleet, sailed into the hurricane. Columbus's ships survived with only minor damage, while 29 of the 30 ships in the governor's fleet were lost to a storm on July 1st. In addition to the ship's 500 lives, including that of the governor, Francisco de Babadilla, and an immense cargo of gold, was surrendered to the sea. After a brief stop at Jamaica, Columbus sailed to Central America, arriving at Guanaja, the Isla de Pinos, in the Bay Islands, off the coast of Honduras, on the 30th of July. Here, Bartolomeo found native merchants and a large canoe, which is described as being long as a galley and filled with cargo. On August 14th, he landed on the continental mainland at Puerto Castilla, near Trujillo, Honduras. He spent two months exploring the coast of Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica, before arriving in Almirante Bay in Panama on the 16th of October. On December 5th of 1502, Columbus and his crew found themselves in a storm unlike any other they had ever experienced. In his journal, Columbus writes, For nine days I was as one lost without hope of life. Eyes never beheld a sea so angry, so high, so covered with foam. The wind not only prevented our progress, but offered no opportunity to run behind any headland for shelter. Hence, we were forced to keep out in this bloody ocean, seething like a pot on a hot fire. Never did the sky look more terrible, for one whole day and night it blazed like a furnace, and the lightning broke with such violence that each time I wondered if it had carried off my spars and sails. The flashes came with such fury and frightfulness that we all thought that the ship would be blasted. All the time, the water never ceased to fall from the sky. I do not say it rained, for it was like another deluge. The men were so worn out that they longed for death to end their dreadful suffering. In Panama, Columbus learned from the Nagobi of gold and a strait to another ocean, but was told by the local leader, Quibian not to go past a certain point down the river. After much exploration in January of 1503, he established a garrison at the mouth of Baleen River. On April 6th, one of the ships became stranded in the river. At the same time, the garrison was attacked by Quibian, and the other ships were damaged. Shipworms also damaged the ships in tropical waters. Columbus left for Hispaniola on April 16th after heading north. On May 10th, he sighted the Cayman Islands, naming them Las Tortugas, after the numerous sea turtles there. His ship's next sustained more damage in a storm off the coast of Cuba. Unable to travel farther, on June 25th of 1503, they were beached in St. Anne's Bay, Jamaica. For one year, Columbus and his men remained stranded on Jamaica. A Spaniard, Diego Mendez, and some natives paddled a canoe to get help from Hispaniola. The governor, Nicolás de Ovando de Caceres, detested Columbus and obstructed all efforts to rescue him and his men. In the meantime, Columbus, in a desperate effort to induce the natives to continue provisioning him and his hungry men, successfully won their favor by predicting a lunar eclipse on February 29th of 1504. Using Abraham Zacuto's astronomical charts, help finally arrived. No thanks to the governor on June 29 of 1504 and Columbus and his men arrived in San Lucar, Spain on November 7th of 1504. Columbus was eventually forced to make peace with the rebellious colonists on humiliating terms. In 1500, the crown had him removed as governor, arrested and transported in chains to Spain. Columbus's strained relations with the Spanish crown and its appointed colonial administrators in America led to his arrest and dismissal as governor of the settlements on the island of Hispaniola in 1500, accusations of tyranny during governorship. He was eventually freed and allowed to return to the new world, but not as governor. Noting here, there were many accusations of tyranny and genocide during Christopher Columbus' governorship. Following this first voyage, Columbus was appointed viceroy and governor of the Indies under the terms of the capitulations of Santa Fe. In practice, this primarily entailed the administration of the colonies in the island of Hispaniola, whose capital was established in Santo Domingo. By the end of the third voyage, Columbus was physically and mentally exhausted his body was racked by arthritis and his eyes by ophthalmia. In October of 1499, he sent two ships to Spain asking the court of Spain to appoint a royal commissioner to help him govern. By this time, accusations of tyranny and incompetence on the part of Columbus had also reached the court. Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand responded by removing Columbus from power and replacing him, with Francisco de Babadilla. Babadilla, who ruled as governor from 1500 until his death in his storm in 1502, had also been tasked by the court with investigating the accusations of brutality made against Columbus. Arriving in Santo Domingo while Columbus was away in the expirations of his third voyage, Babadilla was immediately met with complaints about all three Columbus brothers, Christopher, Bartolome, and Diego. A recently discovered report by Di Babadilla alleges that Columbus regularly used torture and mutilation to govern Hispaniola. The 48-page report found in the year of 2006 in the state archives in the Spanish city of Valladolid contains testimonies from 23 people, including both enemies and supporters of Columbus, about Columbus and his brother's treatment of colonial subjects during his seven-year rule. The historian Howard Zinn writes that Columbus spearheaded a massive slave trade. In 1495, his men captured in a single raid 1,500 Arawak men, women, and children. When he shipped 500 of the slaves to Spain, 40% died en route. Historian James Lowen asserts that Columbus not only sent the first slaves across the Atlantic, he probably sent more slaves about 5,000 than any other individual. Other nations rushed to emulate Columbus. When slaves held in captivity began to die at high rates, Columbus switched to a different system of forced labor. He ordered all natives over the age of 13 to collect a specified amount, one hawk's bell full of gold powder, every three months. Natives who brought the amount were given a copper token to hang around their necks, and those found without tokens had their hands amputated and were left to bleed to death. The Arawaks attempted to fight back against Columbus's men, but lacked their armor, guns, swords, and horses. When taken prisoner, they were hanged or burned to death. Desperation led to mass suicides and infanticide among the natives. In just two years under Columbus's governorship, more than half of the 250,000 Arawaks in Haiti were dead. De las Casas records that when he first came to Hispaniola in 1508, there were 60,000 people living on the island, including the Indians, so that from 1494 to 1508, over 3 million people had perished from war, slavery, and the mines. Who in future generations would believe this? I myself, writing it as a knowledgeable eyewitness, can hardly believe it. Samuel Elliot Morrison, a Harvard historian and author of a multi-volume biography on Columbus, writes, The cruel policy initiated by Columbus and pursued by his successors resulted in complete genocide. Lowen laments that while Haiti, under the Spanish, is one of the primary instances of genocide in all human history. Only one major history text he reviews mentions Columbus's role in it. Columbus and his brothers lingered in jail for six weeks before busy King Ferdinand ordered their release, not long after the king and queen summoned the Columbus brothers to the Alhambra Palace in Granada. There the royal couple heard the brothers' pleas restored their freedom and wealth, and, after much persuasion, agreed to fund Columbus's fourth voyage. But the door was firmly shut on Columbus's role as governor. Henceforth, Nicholas de Ovando y Caceres was to be the new governor of the West Indies. According to the report, Columbus once punished a man found guilty of stealing corn by having his ears and nose cut off and then selling him into slavery. Testimony recorded in the report claims that Columbus congratulated his brother, Bartolome, on defending the family, when the latter ordered a woman paraded naked through the streets and then had her tongue cut out for suggesting that Columbus was of lowly birth. The document also describes how Columbus put down native unrest and revolt. He first ordered a brutal crackdown in which many natives were killed and then paraded their dismembered bodies through the streets in an attempt to discourage further rebellion. Columbus's government was characterized by a form of tyranny, Consuelo Varela, a Spanish historian who has seen the document told journalists, even those who loved him had to admit Columbus's atrocities had taken place. Columbus's treatment of the Hispaniola natives was even worse, his soldiers raped killed and enslaved with impunity at every landing. When Columbus fell ill in 1495, they were reported to have gone on a rampage, slaughtering 50,000 natives. Upon his recovery, Columbus organized his troops' efforts, forming a squadron of several hundred heavily armed men and more than 20 attack dogs. The men tore across the land, killing thousands of sick and unarmed natives. Soldiers would use their captives for sword practice, attempting to decapitate them or cut them in half with a single blow. While Columbus has always given the conversion of non-believers as one reason for his explorations, he grew increasingly religious in his latter years, probably with the assistance of his sons Diego and his friend the Carthusian monk Gaspar Gariccio. Columbus produced two books during his latter years, a book of privileges in 1502 detailing and documenting the rewards from the Spanish crown to which he believed he and his heirs were entitled, and a book of prophecies in 1505 in which he considered his achievements as an explorer but a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the context of Christian eschatology. In his latter years, Columbus demanded that the Spanish crown give him 10% of all profits made in the new lands as stipulated in the capitulations of Santa Fe. Because he had been relieved of his duties as governor, the crown did not feel bound by that contract and his demands were rejected. After his death, his heirs sued the crown for part of the profits from trade with America as well as other rewards. This led to a protracted series of legal disputes known as the Pleiatos Columbinos lawsuits. During a violent storm on his first return voyage, Columbus then, approximately 41 years of age, suffered an attack of what was believed at the time to be gout. In subsequent years, he was plagued with what was thought to be influenza and other fevers, bleeding from the eyes, and prolonged attack of gout. The suspected attack, increased in duration and severity, sometimes leaving Columbus bedridden for months at a time. And on May 20th of 1506, Columbus died in Valladolid, Spain at the age of 54. Based on Columbus's lifestyle and the described symptoms, modern doctors suspect that he suffered from Ryder's syndrome rather than gout. Ryder's syndrome is a common presentation of reactive arthritis, a joint inflammation, caused by intestinal bacterial infections or after acquiring certain sexually transmitted diseases. Ryder's syndrome has been described as a precursor of other conditions. It seems likely that Columbus acquired reactive arthritis from food poisoning on one of his ocean voyages because of poor sanitation and improper food preparations, writes Dr. Frank C. Arnett, a rheumatologist and professor of internal medicine Pathology, and Laboratory Medicine at the University of Texas Medical School at Houston. Christopher Columbus signed his last will and testament on May 19th of 1506 and made five curious and revealing provisions. Two of his wishes, tied one-tenth of his income to the poor and provide an anonymous dowry for poor girls, are part of Jewish customs. He also decreed to give money to a Jew, who lived at the entrance of the Lisbon Jewish Quarter. On those documents, Columbus used a triangular signature of dots and letters that resembled inscriptions found on gravestones of Jewish cemeteries in Spain. Columbus ordered his heirs to use the signature in perpetuity. According to British historian Cecil Ross, The History of the Muranos, the anagram was a cryptic substitute for the Kadesh, a prayer recited in his synagogue by mourners after the death of a close relative. Thus, Columbus's subterfuge allowed his sons to say Kaddish for their crypto-Jewish father when he died. Finally, Columbus left money to support the crusade he hoped his successors would take up to liberate the Holy Land. Estelle Irizarry, a linguistics professor at Georgetown University, has analyzed the language and syntax of hundreds of handwritten letters diaries and documents of Columbus and concluded that the explorer's primary written and spoken language was Castilian Spanish. Isazari explains the 15th century Castilian Spanish was the Yiddish of Spanish Jewry known as Ladino. At the top left-hand corner of all but one of the 13 letters written by Columbus to his son Diego contained the handwritten Hebrew letters Bet Hai, meaning Bezrat Hashem, with God's help. Observant Jews have for centuries customarily added this blessing to their letters. No letters to outsiders bear this mark, and the one letter to Diego in which this was omitted was one meant for King Ferdinand. In Simon Wiesenthal's book, *Sails of Hope, he argues that Columbus's voyage was motivated by a desire to find a safe haven for the Jews in light of their expulsion from Spain. Likewise, Carol Delaney, a cultural anthropologist at Stanford University, concludes that Columbus was a deeply religious man whose purpose was to sail to Asia to obtain gold in order to finance a crusade to take back Jerusalem and rebuild the Jews' holy temple. In Columbus's day, Jews widely believed that Jerusalem had to be liberated and the temple rebuilt for the Messiah to come. In closing, I will share a personal story about my Jewish lineage. In 2010, I was introduced to a man in Ashland, Oregon, who was visiting his daughter, who was a friend of mine. My friend had told her father that my mother was Jewish. Her father asked if I knew what tribe my mother was from. I remembered a story that my mother had told me and proceeded to share it. My mother's last name was Abraham's. She was a Sephardic Jew whose family had fled Spain during the Spanish Inquisition and settled in England before coming to the British West Indies as a British subject. Upon completing my story, the elder gentleman shared a similar story. He was also a Sephardic Jew whose family had also fled Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. He then added that his family was devout in Judaism and could not renounce their religion and embrace Christianity. He went on to say that many Jews who stayed in Spain were crypto-Jews, which meant accepting a Christian baptism, yet behind closed doors practiced Judaism his family decided against becoming a conversal or convert. He ended his testimony by saying that Christopher Columbus was a Jew who only pretended to be a Christian. And making his point very, very clear, he stated that Christopher Columbus was born in Portugal and that his father was a shopkeeper who had later moved his family to Genoa, Italy. This chance conversation with a Spanish Sephardic Jew changed my belief that Christopher Columbus was in fact Italian. I was now convinced that what I had learned about explorer Christopher Columbus in school was a lie. And it was because of this chance conversation that I knew that sometime down the road in the future that I would do some research on the subject. So who was Christopher Columbus? My research has brought me to the following conclusions. Columbus was born in Lisbon, Portugal. Columbus's real name was Cristobal Colombo. His family relocated from Portugal to Genoa, Italy when he was 10 years old. Columbus petitioned the King of Portugal on two occasions seeking three ships and funding for his exploration. Because he was denied by Portugal, he was forced to leave Portugal to seek out other venture capitalists in Genoa and Venice, Italy, England, and finally Spain. Based on his chronological order for expiration funding, he was a citizen of Portugal. After being refused funding, Columbus returned to Portugal and lived there for eight years. While in Portugal, Columbus married a Portuguese woman. Columbus's brother, Bartolomeo, worked most of his adult life as a cartographer in Lisbon, Portugal. Columbus was not Italian, and did not speak Italian. Columbus was a Sephardic Jew. His family lived in Portugal concealing their Judaic belief because of religious persecution by the state. And Now I'll explain Columbus's eventual funding for his exploration. In 1489 Columbus was given money by the Catholic monarchs. The question is why. It is my belief that the church wanted to cleanse Spain of all foreigners which included Jews, Muslims, and free-born blacks. In 1492, Columbus's first voyage was not funded by the King and Queen of Spain, as we have all been led to believe. His first voyage was financed by Jewish businessmen. In 1493, after Columbus's first voyage, he wrote two letters to his Jewish financiers to inform them of what he had discovered, and to thank them for their funding. In 1493, the King and Queen of Spain decided that they were pleased by Columbus's findings during his first voyage and that they would fund Columbus's second voyage and provide him with 17 ships and 1,200 men, most of which were Jews, Muslims, and freeborn blacks. Columbus's motives for his exploration was, in my view, driven by the religious persecution in Portugal and Spain at the time. Columbus was responsible for transporting the 12 tribes of Israel to the New World. The 12 tribes of Israel is as follows, the Judah were the Negroes, and they went on to the Caribbean, the Benjamin to the West Indies, the Levi were the Haitians, the Ephraim were the Puerto Ricans, the Manasseh, Cubans, Gad, North American Indians, Simeon, Dominicans, Zebulon, Guatemala to Panama, the Reuben, Seminole Indians. Natali, Argentina and Chile. The Asher, Colombia to Uruguay. And the Ishikar were the Mexicans. And all of the tribes that I mentioned can be found in the New World. And one of the red flags that came to my mind surrounding the life of Christopher Columbus was, what charges against Columbus could have been so harsh that he would be humiliated to be taken back to Spain in chains in the year 1500. It is my belief that his involvement in the slave trade, shockingly, a population of three million people in the year of 1492, was reduced to a mere 60,000 Taino natives in Hispaniola by the year 1500. And the evidence of proof of the slave trade can be found in other countries such as England, Holland and France. Human trafficking became a sign of the times and was big business which made its way to the new world. Columbus was a cold-hearted and brutal man who was responsible for the enslavement and genocide of millions of people. And it is for this reason Spain and other European countries have concealed the truth for over 500 years. I will leave you all with these final words. Trust, but verify. I'd like to thank everyone for watching. Who was Christopher Columbus? Till next time, Stefan Sindoni.